Welcome everybody to another episode of my podcast and uh, today as all my guests know I'm uh, still delighted, always delighted uh, to have uh, the brilliant Dominic de Maravellas. Um, Dominic I've known for a long uh, a long time, um, shaped some of my career might I say within professional services but he's a veteran within kind of business development marketing across the professional services last 20 years and uh, currently doing some consulting in between projects so I thought who better to get on and talk about from our perspective what we believe what's next for business development uh, in professional services so Dominic I always start my podcast like this with a who what why when where I'm going to give a bit of a backstory and then um, I know that <laughs> you certainly have a view on this so I'm looking forward to where this goes excellent thanks Alex delighted to be uh passed on and, and have another conversation as we used to have many years ago over a coffee in the office. Um, yeah, so Dominic Tamarabella, so I've worked in professional services BD since the early 2000s actually, I mean since, since 2000, so quite a long time. I started out working in the big four at KPMG and Deloitte in, in client-facing sales roles that were very new back then um, and have continued that really throughout my career. I've spent 10 years in accountancy, then another 10 years in law at BCLP, where of course our paths crossed Alex, uh, heading up the, 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 the BD efforts there. And then also after that, joined a, a fund administrator, Crestbridge, a few years ago. So I've done a few years in fund administration, which again is just another variant on professional services. So it's been a really interesting career, always focused on BD, professional services, both in London and, and globally. So. Hopefully, you know, we probably have some some small things to talk about. And as ever, as you know, I'm relatively opinionated, so everyone will find that out soon enough. Indeed. And that's fundamentally um, when I made the move from actually PwC in, into law. The reason I joined BLP as was because you went through the uh, the merger with Brian Cave, whenever that was, uh, you know, a number of years, a number of years ago, is that, you know, BLP back then, one of the very few roles out in the market where it was a client facing BD role and having come from a client facing BD role in BWC, you know, I didn't want to uh, didn't want to, to to lose that side of things. So maybe something we can uh, we can we can build on. But from from your perspective, if we just to take a step back, what what is and this may sound like an incredibly stupid question, but what is business development in the context of professional services? So business development in professional services is very simple. It is, it is the art of increasing the top line for the company by getting in new clients and new business. And, and, it's, and it's as simple as that. It's, it's, it's increasing revenues, um, which is a nice, simple aim to have. How you can get there can be relatively complicated, but, but the aim of it is very simple. And I like the way they use that. I like that the, the the art of getting in um, new clients and new business. And I guess that could be new clients from within existing client base, as well as obviously net new logos within um, within your defined markets that you want to go to. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know you you do get that split. You get that split between um, new new business, effectively, which is new clients, new to the firm, and new existing, which is new work from. From existing clients and yeah that's that's really the key split and historically there's been this uh, big big focus on the new existing and quite rightly because all the studies that we've read over donkey's years now say how much easier it is to get work from your current clients than the, the, the new clients which, which is all well and good and it's all absolutely true and that's 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 definitely the right focus but the new new actually for me has always been 
um, a little bit more interesting because one, it's much harder. Uh, two, it's, it, it, it is not, it, it requires some more investment and some focus and it requires slightly different skills. And so I think within professional services, what I've noticed is that you can have key client programs and talk about how to do new existing, but partners are all of these sorts of firms and senior executives are all of these sorts of firms. Yeah, they know these people, they know their clients, they know their clients' business. They're not that receptive to being told what to do um, with people that they've known for 15, 20 years, even if actually they do have some new tricks to learn um, and that they're not that receptive to it. Um, and also generally, you know, they, they, can, they can manage that. The new new side is more interesting because it's very, very out of the comfort zone of your typical partner at a law firm or accountancy firm or fund manager, whatever it might be. That's really quite out of their comfort zone and they need a lot more support with that. And that's also an area of the business that I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about as this goes on. It's an area of the business that's changed radically in the past 20 years in terms of how you would access that market and how would you how would how you approach the new new market. And so building on, on that, and I you know wholeheartedly agree with you and seen you know seen it firsthand with trying to you know bring somebody who's got that deep relationship with you know with a person or a few people across <laughs> across an organization to do something sort of fundamentally uh, different is no is no kind of easy feat and i guess this comes back to you know that that word that you probably you use specifically in terms of the the art what what so the what is the role then of the individual um in an organization that is in a bd function historically what 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 do they have to do in order to be able to facilitate that? And then where I want to take this is what does the new world order look like um, for BD and professional services? But let's kind of look back initially to hopefully inform where we think this, where we think this should be. Yeah, so, so this is quite, quite a sort of esoteric idea, but really what, what BD is doing, you know, in order to, to grow the top line, as I said, really what it is is a form of risk management mm -hmm. and and how i mean with but what i mean by that is that you get an existing client for example and someone a person you know a senior partner and she's leading that she's leading that client um does she want to ask difficult clients about difficult questions about to the client about new work in new jurisdictions or new service lines people maybe she doesn't know Within her, within her own firm, maybe they're in different offices, they're in different practice groups. She doesn't really know them. Does she really want to risk her relationship that maybe is worth, you know, seven figures a year and really sees her through year to year? Does she really want to risk that for something new that, you know, and again, you know, she may or may not be remunerated super well on that, which is another topic to come back to. Um, so the risk appetite of those people is quite low. Uh, and the same on the new new side, I would say, is that what happens is you've got people who are trained lawyers, trained accountants, they're not trained salespeople, making cold calls. You know, I had a job, you know, I had a job when I was 24 to cold call CEOs for 200 companies. Um, luckily, I was pretty good at it, but it was quite a horrific thing to, to come in the office and, and that's what you had to do. And if you weren't successful at it, goodbye. Yeah, it was really tough. And that's not what mid-professionals mid, mid who are in their late 20s, early 30s really want to do. And actually, the way the culture changed, social media and stuff will come to, they're even less likely to want to do that now than they were a few years ago, because, you know, that whole cold calling thing is, 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 
is, is probably long gone by now, really, in terms of professional setting. So again, it's increasing the risk appetite of people to do new things, to go to events, to speak to new clients, to reach out to people relatively cold by a variety of means that we'll talk about um, and increase their risk appetite for taking a bit of risk. On the new new side is the sort of risk of people saying no and not being interested and that sort of shame type feeling that you slightly get of rejection. Mm-hmm. And on the new existing side, it's you know upsetting the apple cart of something that's serving you very well. Thank you very much. So it's both it's really convincing people that they're not taking as much risk as they think they are that by making these actions the huge benefits outweigh the small risks that they're doing so it's quite as i say it's quite an internal it's quite an emotional piece doing business development um but i do think of it in those risks or i've learned to think of it in those risk terms because if you don't have empathy for the people you're trying to convince to do it then nothing happens and i've seen so many programs fail i've seen so many projects fail i've seen so many senior people come in from sales roles from BT or E or other large, 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 you know, large industry sectors who know all about running sales teams, who know all about sales processes, far more than I do, frankly. And they come in and they try and make these things work and they leave within a year and a half, absolutely guaranteed, without fail, not seeing any of them really succeed because they don't understand the need to get everybody on board in a partnership environment. They don't understand you know, they can't really grasp the lack of risk appetite that people have within the, within these environments, and, and quite deservedly so. You know, when you look at these firms, most of them have been around for 150 years plus, doing very well, thank you very much, with a long history of um, very happy, you know, retired partners in Tunbridge Wells, and and that's you know what's what so many of them aspire to. <laughs> there are other places that our retired partners could live in the UK. <laughs> I was thinking somewhere close to myself. So as the, as the, very partial, very partial there. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting, fascinating way to interesting, fascinating. Can those those be the same sentence? That's a really interesting way to look at it. That you are helping, you know, manage the risk in terms of the risk to the to the individual and the and the relationship. Which is, you know, to your point, it 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 isn't it is an art form, and I've, it's interesting certainly from my journey to professional services that fifteen or so people from recruitment um, moved into PwC yeah. and seem to seem to gel very well into that world because you're managing risk for people and you're managing risk for people to change you know potentially you know, changing roles which potentially could you know, change their entire career their you know their entire kind of outlook on um, uh, on on life. And fundamentally, you are dealing with with people whose job is to help clients manage manage risk, typically on the more um, the the, uh, the leaner side rather than the more more aggressive side. So, to that end, and this is me speaking from experience of you know spending five years as as an independent, being that kind of outsider looking in. Your experience across other industries, and now being that outsider looking in. Why do we believe? Why do we think that there's now just such a diverse perception of what BD is within a professional service firm and I, I use the example when you know working with clients historically you, you could ask a partner in a firm the same question what what do you believe BD does and you'll probably get a hundred different responses <laughs> all very different in terms of in terms of their view and some of them maybe not even anything related to increasing you know, the top increasing the, the, the top line so what why do we believe maybe why do we believe we are now where we are today around that and is that a fair assumption 
Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question, Alex. And it's, I think it's quite a difficult one to answer. There's a few things there. I think the obvious one is BD is such a catch-all term mm. that it can, co it can, it can co-op so many things. You know, the whole of marketing can fit under BD in the same way that you can fit BD under marketing. Yeah. Um, people who aren't experienced in the, in, in the nuances of it happily do that, merrily do that without really thinking about the differences at all or understanding the differences, which leads to a bit of confusion. So one is a kind of lack of understanding on the, on the part of the practitioners. But I think also because the way BD works is very individual, you know, different people have different skill sets. You know, some, some people, some partners are extremely technical um, and experts in their fields. And effectively, the clients hire them because they're massive brain boxes and they can deliver the answers that the client wants. And the client believes that probably only they can and they're willing to pay that because they want someone really clever to answer their questions for them. And then you've got people who are totally different personality types. They're very empathetic or they actually love going to events and speaking at events and meeting new people and networking and interacting. Um, and they may or not be, be a particularly good accountant or lawyer, um, but that doesn't stop them because they're out there and they, they, they love interacting with people and people maybe love them back. Um, and, they, and they build their book of business and their credibility in the industry that way. So one of the challenges with BD is it's quite, it's quite a personal thing. You know, how you do it, I think, you know, you and I have worked together and you and I have quite different styles about yeah. how we go about doing our BD. Um, and we're both very ex experienced professionals. And that's because how you do it always comes from a, a personal place of your own sort of personality types and your own approach to how much risk that you want to take in your um, sort of daily life in, in, in terms of reaching out to people. And so that leads to everybody having their own personal definition of it, which is and goes back to your question. Oh, everyone thinks very differently about it. Like, oh, yeah, they do, because they can't help but, but put their own stamp from what they think that they would like to do or they enjoy doing or they hate doing and they don't want to do both ways into what they think this kind of miasma of the phrase of BD is. And actually, when you think of it from that perspective, we won't really get away from that, certainly not in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. We won't really escape that in a way that a corporate can escape it by having a sales team, a sales process, direct responsibility for the top line for, for their sales team and a culture of sales within that team that is supported by other groups in, in a business. It's, it's just so different because you have people who are purely dedicated to the role. You won't ever get that in professional services in the same way. You're not going to see professional services firms uh, much as you and I might like it. Uh, you won't see professional services firms you know, just, just allocate all the BD to, uh, to, a, to a sales team. There'll always be a support team. So because of that model, we have this complexity about what BD can mean in professional services. And to your point is that it depends on where it, where it sits can also direct the skill sets that are, that are hired. If I look at, you know, and we, you know, we've worked with a plethora of, of, of people in BD from all different industries and backgrounds, you know, some have never sold in, in, in their lives. And that's not to say that they shouldn't be in a role that, you know, that, that has BD on the badge, but it's the, it's the, it's the need and the want and reacting to the requirements, dare I say, of the organization at that time, or specifically the individual that the person will be working with or practice group based on the skill sets of, of that person. So it could be that you need somebody who's more akin to developing proposals and, and bids or somebody who's more akin to, 
you know, developing the social media strategy or somebody who's more akin to the, the hard nosed cold, cold calling type sort of um, uh, type sort of approach. And you're right, it was whilst the partnership exists in, in the in the way that it does at the moment, you know, I can't see them having that dedicated sales function. But would it even would that even be right? I, I don't know. And I guess that then that then leads on to if you and I were to start a firm today god forbid we start a professional service firm there's a scary uh, there's a scary thought but how how would or what what skill sets do would we look for across that bd spectrum to help drive the outcomes that we're trying to uh trying to achieve and you know let's let's let's, let's go far and wide already out there with this yeah, so I think I think one thing where I see the errors made currently, and that's actually they have been rectified over the past few years, but where the errors are, is there is not enough depth in many of the teams that you would need for the reasons that you say. I think particularly at small firms, kind of totally understandably, they have smaller budgets, they have smaller teams, they often go for a kind of jack of all trades style of person, and you meet these very harassed uh, ladies and gentlemen who are trying to do PR, events, comms, mm. bids, networking stuff, some partner training, internal budgets and, and cost control around budgets, throwing out some sort of digital angles and managing the web. And, and they then have a team of two or three or four people under them who all try and um, muck in. And they, and they have quite a fun job. I think, you know, I think that's why many of them enjoy it. They have quite a fun job because they are doing 20 different things. And like each day is different because each day there's a new crisis with something they forgot about from three months ago um, that suddenly they probably should have done. Um, so they do have, they, it's quite a fun job because it's, it's good. But, it's, but that lack of specialism means that not a lot of value, extra value is created. Like all the all the day-to-day -day hygiene stuff does get done very successfully by those teams. Um, but they do struggle to, to add real value. And then that feeds back into the partners and more senior people in the firm going, well, what do these people really do? And we're not really going to listen to them. And they're not really telling us anything um, that we can't do ourselves. And that's because they're busy doing, you know, they're just busy doing hygiene all day every day yeah. and they struggle. So I think smaller firms have, a, have, have an issue. If we were to start a bigger firm, I think that centers of excellence kind of approach is really, really key. I think particularly in the digital sphere, particularly in the digital sphere, um, but also across the business, you know, you need dedicated people writing RFPs. Mm. I've run teams on doing RFPs at three, four different firms now. And by focusing on it and by having people dedicated to it and by having some proper process, and it's not that complicated, but it's a little bit complicated, some proper process, Every single firm that I've ever done it at, I've improved the RFP, RFP success rate from normally around 30, 35 to more like 50%. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it's, it's not that hard, but the challenge has been the same every time. You know, a couple of people doing RFPs on the side of the desk, maybe one dedicated person, no real process about what we should or shouldn't take, no real storage of the data, no ability to to recast that, you know, no real control over the pricing element because it's sat with too many different people and, you know, lots of problems with branding and international firms and stuff like that and how things went out, all sorts of issues. Mm. Um, but actually relatively simply fixed by having enough people dedicated or enough resources dedicated 
to that particular function and you know exactly the same applies to, to to the marketing function to the events function to the pr function obviously you have to scale everything rel relative to the investment that you can have in the firm as a whole and the investment that you might have in your marketing function which is typically too low in a uh, professional services firm as we all know um you know pwc reports you know always like oh you should have three to five percent you know five percent being pretty high and typically yeah. most firms i know of are spending you know two and a half to three and a half tops so they're all relatively underspending in this in, in this area because they could get away with it you know the finance director loves a bit of uh, free cash backs at the end of the year <laughs> but i think those centers of excellence are, are, are just are just so key you're having enough mm -hmm. people and and hiring therefore people who have specific dedicated skills experience in doing one or two things very very well because when you have someone who maybe does come from an agency background who is given a bit of a license in your marketing team on the branding side and the marcom side um you see fantastic things come out you know it's really really impressive campaigns really really differential stuff stuff that these firms really want um, but you can't hire that person and give them all the hygiene stuff to do as well because yeah. they won't come out with any any campaigns they'll just drown in the day-to-day -day. so you have to have enough headspace to do it and then i guess if you're a small or a medium firm you have to take some bets on where to invest because you probably can't afford to have you know six or eight heads yeah. in six or eight different areas and, and you know there we are with 50 people and you haven't got 50 you haven't got 50 fdes in your team you've got 30. So you have to take some bets and that's really where i come back to the digital space you know where are you going to take the bets where are you where are you really going to do it and where are you going to make the difference i think the interesting thing um overall though is that very very few of the firms take one of those bets on the actual real bd side on yeah. the new business side on the on the attracting the top line because it's probably the most risky side it's hard to find the people you have to get a lot of culture cultural engagement to make it work but when it does work, it really makes a difference to the top and bottom line of the firm. So, you know, it justifies the marketing teams, the BD teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they get bigger budgets. The firm grows. It's fantastic. But you, you rarely see that bet taken because it's out of the comfort zone of typically the more marketing folks who've grown up in, in, professional, in professional services. But it's, it, it's an interesting one in terms of, you know, taking, taking that bet and you, you, touched on, you touched on it with kind of digital and data. We're now... We are, and this is across all industries, right? We're now in a, we are now in a position where technology can actually start to give us that insight as to what's working, what isn't working, and really kind of <laughs> prove in black and white on a spreadsheet that we spent X, that, that equal Y, which then increased this to do, you know, to do that, that. If we did more of this, you're going to get, you know, more and more at, at the top. As a firm, that's that's all good, right? And I think what, what is interesting in, dare I say it, is that there for me is is a technical, I think it's, it's, this is broad brushstroke, so I'm not saying all firms are, are like this, and I think size of firm also dictates it, but there is a lack of knowledge in terms of what of the, what the art of the possible is today, um, from a technology perspective, from a, from a reporting perspective. Now, okay, yes, I've had the advantage of being kind of a, ro a roving digital nomad for the last five, uh, five years, which gives me time to, to consume all of this and learn what's, uh, you know, what's happening. But part of me is I would want that skill set that is 
brand new in the market so that we you have that today also it might not be 100% relevant to today it, you know it absolutely will be in in 5 years you know 5 years time so this is things like you know data ai obviously you know customer journey orchestration those uh, those kind of technologies customer data platforms which crm may well morph into and the crm as a technology platform is a really interesting kind of conversation bubbling uh, up again within certainly the the legal sector because um a certain brand's lifespan is probably coming towards the yeah. towards the end um two other major organizations are out there realize this and it's starting to come at it from a from a very different perspective but when one talks to peers and former peers it is it is interesting in terms of oh, I didn't even know that you could do this to help drive that different conversation internally to a partner, whoever that you know whatever interest is to go. If I were able to produce this type of output insight, would that be helpful? Yes, it would. Well, in order for that to happen, this is what needs to happen internally to get to that point. But you know, I reflect on our journey together way back when at BLP when we were running um, those meeting reports that were looking forward every two weeks <laughs> in yeah. the financial services piece and having partners banging down my door going, why am I showing zero? And I'm like, because you're not pushing a button or your EA is not pushing a button within Outlook to generate that report. It's not that, uh, not that difficult. And, you know, that going back to, well, that's not my job. And then the EA going, well, that's not my job. And I'm like, well, it's somebody's job. <laughs> has to be part of somebody's job description to do this to generate this, you know, this basic outcome, let alone, you know, the data and insight that one can can see today. So, what? And you went through a merger. Um, you've been in different, you know, different industries across this. What What have you seen in that in that space? So I, I completely agree with you there. I think there's some interesting topics that come out of there. So I'll start my super controversial bit. So I think that 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 issue that you highlight about non-engagement of the non-BD people effectively or lack of engagement from the non-BD people is critical and still completely exists today mm -hmm. and I've been to many round tables with CRM uh, experts and they will just basically bemoan that no one really engages and that you know crap in crap out data is the problem that they constantly have and what can they do um, but they never really think of actually what they need to do they just think of how do we make these partners how do we make these associates how do we make other people in the firm uh, do our job for us, mm -hmm. which is kind of how I see it. And I and I think, well, that's just a crazy way of looking at it. And at my last place, I went, that's not what we're going to do at all. What we actually need to do is huge investment in digital platforms. We need to recognize that the digital, the way the digital world impacting us is massive. You're the last person in the world I have to educate or lecture on the use of LinkedIn <laughs> for reach out. Uh, literally the last person in the world. And you taught me most of what I know. Um, and you know, to this day, I find it extremely successful. You know, reaching out to people on LinkedIn. I've done it today. Uh, extremely successful, and, it, and it's such a it's such a great tool. But in order to do that, do you really need everybody's data? Do you need everyone to cooperate? No, you don't. You need people to put a certain amount of data in the system. But actually, you can get a huge amount of information, you know, from the email systems that you already have, from the data inputs that are coming into the firm already. And the, the issue is that people have gone through this, well, we need to ask permission all of the time. You know, we can't just use this data. You know, we need to ask permission. How does it work? Okay, you, there's some things you have to figure out. GDPR isn't 
simple. Yeah. You have to figure out what you can and can't use and how you can use it. Of course, you have to remain compliant. You know, we're talking about fresh services firms. You can't be non-compliant at all. So yeah, that's 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 step one. But those things I've done all that. Those things can be overcome. Unfortunately, I know a ridiculous amount about GDPR. It's a bit sad um, because of, because of what I had to learn about all of this. And it's amazing what content you know you do really have and how and how you can use the information. And the firms have a lot of data. And certainly if you use a CRM platform, probably as the core platform, mm -hmm. but you do plug into it, you know, the people you already know using the systems you already have, the ingress you already have into your finance systems, into your CRM systems, into your email systems. You use a lot of data that you can buy in the industry um, that, that, that's out there about, you know, in the law firms, you know, what, what companies are spending and who's on their panels and that kind of thing in the fund admin world, what funds are launching, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same. You know, there is industry information. It's expensive, but there's industry information you can use. And then you tie that in with LinkedIn and your contacts and sales navigator and who you're actually targeting and what you're trying to do. Those things alone provide you with massive amounts of data input, huge, easy, actionable um, bits of work, bit, bit data that you can use. And that's really the future because the five or six actionable pieces that come out of that are all probably worth six figure sums of money if people actually follow it up. And also, you know, you, you can follow it up and you can either get the teams to do it or you can get your BD teams to do it. But to me, the, you know, the, the, the thing that holds things back at the moment is that the lack of confidence really in the IT solutions on from from with you know within the CRM teams often, but often from the you know, the leaders and the marketing team and indeed you know the board of the firms who think, oh, you know, we can't we must ask consent from everybody and we can't just do this. And it's frankly it's a nonsense, right? Because you go to any corporate, you know, you go to Salesforce or something yeah. like that. Yeah, they sit down at their desk in the morning and they open up Salesforce and they get on with it. And it's been like that for 20 years. Right? Yeah. It's not something they did five minutes ago. They've done it for 20 years. They put all of their data every day, all of their data just feeds into the system so that they have comprehensive data. And it is absolutely standard at most corporates. Yeah, it just is. Yeah. But in the professional services world, for various reasons, and yeah, you do get complex reasons. Oh, you know, we look after high net worth families and we need to be careful of information. Yeah, there's always excuses. Um, and you can always just cut teams off and not use their data if they're going to be really stropping. So there's, there's, there's ways around it if you can be bold, but being bold is really critical. And, and, and today being bold is really critical because if you're not bold today, you will be very far behind um, in, in you know, five, six, seven years time because the paradigm shift is now. The paradigm yeah. shift has been going on for the past five or six years. And you can miss it for, you know, you've missed it for five, seven years and people have sat there and gone, well, we missed it for five, seven years, doesn't really matter. You know, look at our results, speak for themselves, fantastic. You know, we solid 5.2% growth every year. Um, as if that's impressive and all these sorts of things. But actually that, you know, that, that, that won't last when, 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 you know, when, when the opposition go ahead of you quite substantially. I mean, a good example, a, a physical one that you can see is look at how improved websites are for the really big corporates over the past five or six years really really it's good to see right much simpler much cleaner yeah. much less information on them much more accessible social media style you know many of the people who work in the industry have really got it and there's some lovely things really easy to use sites out there nearly all of them actually really really focused but that wasn't the case for the 10 years before yeah, yeah there was higgledy piggledy rubbish there was you know 
the people who sat there and gone, well, you know, my nephew built a website, so I'm going to get them to build the website for the firm because it's going to cost me three and me. And off they went and built some, you know, unbelievable thing, sort of greening thing. Um, and that, I wouldn't say that was standard, but yeah, that, that was out there and that's all gone now. That's all gone. And if you're a firm and you don't have a decent website, yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the window of the firm, right? That's the shop. You know, the, what do they buy? They buy the people, they buy the experience, they buy the quality of the brand. All of that is on show. And, and people have got that and they've invested in it. And you can see that they've invested heavily in it. And I'm really glad to see that. The next stage is, is, is using that information again, using that data source um, that comes in properly. And you know, the people are starting at it. Obviously, HubSpot's been around a long time. There's lots of yeah. technology that you and I can throw out there. But again, you know, typically what you see is you know, you'll have HubSpot and you'll go to a major firm and they'll have one person who understands it. Yeah. If, and if that, right, and they've normally left anyway. So, you know, they'll have some newbie who, who's been past something half-assed, which isn't their fault, who might be super bright, but it's kind of one person and they're kind of being lent on to use this information and generate campaigns. And it's, it's a lot, it's a big ask for basically an under-resourced department. And then you just get people going, well, these tools will cost a lot. We've got these people, we've got this technology. And how many leads is it really generated? And, and then it sort of spits out some data and people go, oh, it's generated all these leads. You've got how many have closed? And of course, it's too much for one person. So that's where I think, you know, that's what I'm saying about the senses of excellence and the investment required and the bravery on the data side to actually use the data you've got and to buy more data to make these tools effective as they should be, which is only really catching up with the corporate world. And that's yeah. what just makes them laugh. It's just catching up with the corporate world. It's not as if the, the professional services industry is some kind of market-leading uh, entity here and no one else has thought of this. It, 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 and it will happen. And the firms that will make a success of it, you will see uh, you know, very good growth on, on the firms that make a success of it. Maybe double. You know, maybe they might double their average from where, from where they were for a few years. Um, what would always be hard, of course, is the partners to take credit for it. So it would always be hard to actually prove that it, that it, that it was actually the change in processes and systems that you had. You, know, you need to really convince the board that that's, that's the answer um, so that they actually agree with you at the end of it. And they don't just say, well, I think you'll find that you know, my amazing knowledge and connections were really, uh, really the driver here, which is what they always say. Um, but to me, yeah, that's, 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 the, that's, that's the crucial thing, you know, having that level of investment, being brave using the data that you have i just think firms are sitting on data that they don't utilize yeah. in terms of bd tons and tons of it that they don't really utilize and partly because they don't employ enough people to utilize it they don't have the systems and they haven't really thought out carefully how to make the most use of it and yes it's taking baby steps but what i see is that the baby steps are still being taken you know these babies should be teenagers by now and they're not they're still toddling around as if they're two years old going oh well we've We've had an event and we've invited some people and we tracked it on HubSpot. Yeah, we tracked that they're coming and, 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 and then someone's come and it's amazing. And now we're going to follow up with them. It's like, yeah, great. But yeah, guys, this is, you could have done this 10 years ago. Yeah. And in fact, you were doing it 10 years ago and you haven't really come on, but the technology's really changed. The data's really changed. The people have all changed. And the market you're selling into has completely changed because now everyone buys digitally. Yeah, especially since the pandemic, right? You know, we haven't even got into that. Since the pandemic, everyone's buying on Zoom, everyone's buying digitally. Yeah. Yeah. Professional services sales must be approaching 70, 80% digital by now on the new new side. Must be. 
it, you're you're right. And it's interesting in terms of um, so much to to kind of cover off there, but that that's where I believe. Back to your point around seeing you know, trying to test the sales directors coming in from industry into professional services and fundamentally failing because they don't understand the business. And it, it is nuanced. If you haven't worked professional services, it's very hard to explain the difference between a corporate a corporate and uh, and pro service. However. I do believe, to your point, absolutely, that we could be doing a much better job of using technology to its maximum, or even fifty percent of its, uh, you know, its capability. Let's take that HubSpot example. You know, example. It's around how do you then look at automation? How do you look at what is you know called the waterfall in marketing? So that the minute everybody that turned up to the event or attended the event on on Zoom or Teams, the system knows it, right? So they have an automated email follow up straight out the gate when the thing finishes. Those that didn't attend, you know they didn't attend because didn't attend. You might have another automated email which goes straight out with some different information, and then the system just takes over that lead nurturing, if you if you will, to a point that then it becomes. Uh, becomes something but you then need somebody a human being when it becomes something to then do something with that <laughs> that piece of information rather than looking and going oh that's nice <laughs> and then just for, you know for um uh, forgetting about it so and also to your point around the way that people buy an experience somebody shared with me the other day that one of the big four, I won't say who, are trying to create an almost Amazon-like experience when you land on their website because that's just kind of how we how we are used to buying, right? Almost, it's just as as whether you're the chief exec of a FTSE 100 organization or someone who's got a startup idea, we live in the Amazons, the Ubers, the Airbnbs of the world that drive an experience that now comes to expect. And there's a partner at AO who I know very well who you know, drills into his associates and senior associates and so on that we're selling an experience, and they say that he look they look at me like I've got two heads, <laughs> like what? No, we sell law. So no, we don't. Any other you know, magic circle firms could do what we do. Any of them could. So we need to differentiate ourselves and what is that? And as we always tell Alex, you can't really sell the law. It's all in books already. It all exists, right? The government have published it and everything, right? It's actually free. <laughs> You're not really selling the law, are you? You're only selling your knowledge and interpretation of it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting concept that often forgotten that you know, they think they actually know something magic, which I can actually look up. <laughs> I it, it, I, but if i look at then the age profile of, of that partner um you know he's under 40 and like this is also for me the next generation of lawyer coming through which get this and the clients that they're also engaging with someone someone the other day says with the average ceo and starting tech world is now 32 or 33 yeah, yeah. if you're going to market to a 32 33 year old in the tech world to buy your, you know, and let's you know, CEOs are part of that buying that buying committee, right? You need to be talking to them in a very, very different way. Um, you know, they don't want things printed. They don't expect things to be printed out. They expect to engage with you in a um, in in a digital format, and that you know, again, requires a huge shift in thinking, behavior, adoption of cloud. Can't put things in the cloud because our clients won't let us type, type sort of um, uh, conversation. So, but to your point, it comes back to if you're able to invest in the expertise during that entire, it's almost, I guess, you almost, in my view, want to unpick the entire buying, buying journey, if you can, of what you sell, and then figure out where do I need a human and where do I need, where do I need the lawyer or the, you know, the, where do I need the professional? Where do I need BD? Where do I need marketing? Where do I need data? Where do I need automation? And then look at your own 
tech stack, but your own people skills as well to figure out who can do what. And that might mean some tough conversations for some law firms over the next five years. They just don't have the right skill sets. Um, and the people that are in those businesses don't want to change or adapt to the to the new world order. So unfortunately, in the great resignation, the great reshuffle is obviously all being, you know, is being talked about at the, at the moment. So, you know, it's not, it's no, that there is no single answer in this because no one, I mean, no one's really getting it right across all, all industries. But to your point, if I look at SaaS world and the world of sales engagement, sales enablement platforms like the outreaches and the sales loss, both of which got billion dollar valuations during the height of a global pandemic, kind of shows either VC money is crazy or where they believe kind of top of funnel selling is going to um, going to go. If you talked about any of those brands where we've come from, they would have never, ever have, have, have heard for them yet yeah, in five years time. This might be table stakes for um, what professional services services do. So. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot there. But if you're, if anybody's listening to to this and they think actually we want to be bold, we want to be brave, this has inspired me to to kind of try and do something different. In your experience, Dominic, where where's a good place to start? You know, back back so to I, yeah. I think a really good place to start, and it's something that happened rarely to me. In my you know the four or five companies I've worked at is for the board on their one of their away days to actually take some ownership of this stuff. And they have plenty of management away days. I've organized enough of them to know that there are plenty of them uh, and attended enough of them to know that there are plenty of them. Um, and, and often I think that what you see happen on the, in, the, in the whole of BD and marketing is it's, it's relegated to a kind of, it's business services, it's a special subject that has the same profile internally as you know, what IT systems we're going to use or how we're going to manage our you know, HR teams, which isn't to say that it is more important, but it's just, it's seen in a specific way as a specific small subunit within the business. Mm -hmm. But actually that's right year to year. But when you're setting a strategy for it, when you're actually thinking about making a big change, that change absolutely has to come from the top. And that means the top having a little more education from someone like yourself, typically Alex, who's very good at it, a little bit more education about what the art of the possible is and where the world is, where we've been from, where we're going. And then some commitment to drive that change through. Because without that commitment from the top, both in terms of budgets, because it is a budget thing, um, but also that change that needs to happen. And to your point, if you ask the partners, what do they want from marketing and BD? Typically they want another person who they can just allocate all, all the stuff that they don't want to do. You know, oh, can you write my speech for when I go and do that presentation? Can you organise this event for me that I can speak at? Can you sort this dinner out for me? Oh, can you reply to this RFP? Can I just, they just want someone generic um, uh, who's, who, can, who can be a bit of a jack of all trades. You know, going back to that conversation earlier, that's just a complete fail. <laughs> it's just a fail. Yeah. You, fill, you fill your business with people who are, very willing, very keen, often very bright, enthusiastic mm -hmm. people who you then train to become jack of all trades. Then that's what you end up with as a as a as a corporate culture. You just have this corporate culture of nothing particularly exciting, but everything getting done. Mm -hmm. And if you want to change that, you change it from the top, and you actually have to stop that. To your point, 
you probably have to make some changes in the type of people you hire. You probably have to make some changes in the type of roles you have available. And you probably have to actually think hard about your tech stack and what you're going to invest in. And then again, what that means for who you're hiring and the types of people you're hiring. Um, and then, you know, what you're going to do on the relationship side, who's actually going to follow up these leads and stuff. Because again, if you think that the partners and associates are going to get, are going to do it, that's where we come full circle back to, do you need salespeople? Yeah, you need a few. You need a few people with those skills because it's not really the skill set of the group of introverts that you've hired who are, you know, naturally your lawyers and accountants, typical types um, to go and do this. And so you probably do need a handful of people to lead this at the front end, even if actually what they're doing is more a kind of first stage cycling through of opportunities before handing them over to the people who can actually close. You know, they might not necessarily be the big closers themselves, but you probably do need a group of people doing that or else you'll do what a lot of firms currently do. We should generate a whole load of leads, show the partners that they're generating all these leads, but generate zero closures. Yeah. You know, and have the marketing teams hunting around, BD teams hunting around trying to prove that they've closed something. I need to be told that, oh, I'm not sure you really did that. Um, and that really affects their ROI and all of that. But for me, I think, yeah, really starting at the top, taking a little, doesn't take days and days, but just taking a little bit of time to think clearly about where you want to be in five years and then, getting the right person, setting them that task and setting them off on the way. And then not, you know, you don't have to interfere daily, yeah. but you do have to lead. You know, you do have to lead. Again, I mean, that's a minor example. Most CRM systems aren't used very well by law firms. That's just typical, right? Or accountants yeah. firms. And at the same time, the people who don't use them the most are the senior people because they're too busy and they're too important and they don't use them. And it's absolutely the reason they don't get used because from the top down, that's yeah. what happens. I'm too important to use it. So the person who reports to me, well, they're too important to use it as well. And so it goes on until no one's used it um, and, you, and you haven't really succeeded. So that buy-in from the top into that cultural change is, 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 is critical. And yeah, absolutely, it can be done because you know, I'm sure you in particular can talk about some excellent firms. We've mentioned that now, and I know there's others as well. Yeah, there's some firms that have really got to grips and really improved what they've done. And you know, we've discussed websites and things and how they've come on leaps and bounds. So, all of this stuff is definitely, definitely doable, but you need to put the time aside and make some commitment to, act, to actually do it. And, and you'll see the real returns. You know, I, I think for most firms, a real investment in a proper BD structure combined with marketing, focused on, on digital, focused on improving your, your, your top line as the main goal, will probably see, I mean, certainly my experience from what I've achieved, probably see you double the annual uh, revenue increases in the firm over a five-year period. And that, you know, if you're a bigger firm, even if you're a smaller firm, that's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, so, so it's, it's, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of success. And as we all know, success drives success. You know, if you keep the firm growing, people are happy, they're getting paid, the partnership, you know, pool is, is bigger, and they're getting their shares, everybody's happy. And that's what you want. So it doesn't just drive a kind of cold commercial increase in profits and all of these things. Those things drive a happy a happy business because there are very few businesses that are growing rapidly where everybody's severely unhappy. I mean, they do yeah. exist, but they're, they're, they're pretty rare. There is a lot of businesses where growth is stalled or is, or is um, falling, uh, if not growth, you know, actually, and, and actually shrinking where, you know, the culture is really hard. It's hard to maintain. It's hard to keep everybody motivated. So this investment, is not just about the BD, it's about the culture of the firm as a whole. Be bold, be brave, start from the top, and as always, it's 
it's about the culture, what it fundamentally comes down to. But now you've got data that can potentially start to underpin and drive uh, drive some of this. Dominic, as always, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you. I always learn something new um, when I chat with you and, uh, and catch up with you. Uh, if people want to learn more about what you're doing and what you can potentially do for uh, for them, where's the best place for them to, oh, reach, uh, to find you? Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Alex, as always. Reach out to well, me I'll put the link somewhere here. I'm starting on this YouTube thing, right? Those right. I'm pointing randomly um, in a square box, but uh, absolutely do. Um, a, of course, mention this podcast to say that you've listened to it. Uh, reach out to Dominic, um, connect with Dominic. He really is, um, I was going to say, the godfather of, of all BD in, term, in, in terms of the, it really does know his his stuff and brings some amazing experience to um, to bear. So it's uh, it, it's absolutely well uh, well worth it. Um, for my guests that are listening, uh, thank you as always. If there's for my guests that are listening, oh, for my audience that is listening, uh, thank you uh, as always. If you want to be on the podcast and you know what to do, if you want to suggest someone to be on the podcast and you know what to do. But otherwise, uh, I will leave you all here today with a final thought. Uh, be bold and be brave. Dominic, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure, Alex. Thank you.